like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Knowing that memory is one of the powerful, powerful accesses of the human heart, I want to trigger yours and just let you react to the opening lines of a story and, and tell me where this takes you. This is the story of an adventure that happened in Narnia and Kalorman and the lands in between in the Golden Age when Peter was high king in Narnia and his brother and his two sisters were king and queens under him. In those days, far south in Kalorman, on a little creek of the sea, there lived a poor fisherman called Arshish, and with him there lived a boy who called him father. The horse is by, oh my gosh, I could, I'm on every I could literally, <laughs> I could literally keep going. <laughs> word for word, probably the opening chapter. Oh yeah, I mean you get a sentence into that and it's Narnia, Kalorman, and the lands in between and the golden age, and I'm like, I already know the story, I already know the arc, I am anticipating what's coming next and the journey. And I also, it's like summer and we're all in the suburban and maybe we only have disc one and three, but we know what happens in disc two. So it's okay. Disc, disc two is scratched. Yeah, yeah. Where are you? It makes me so happy. I guess I'm in the middle of Wyoming driving towards the Tetons, but we're in sort of the changeless moonscape past Laramie listening to like, this incredible radio theater production of a great story. It's a great beginning to a story. I'm I'm ready for the Takan to show up on his horse and Right? But I can. Exactly <laughs> that. How did you learn to talk? Exactly. <clears throat> How deep would you say that is embedded in your childhood? Oh, oh, uh, to separate it would be to rip out life-giving portions. I would, my childhood would begin bleeding on the floor. It would be a problem. Yeah, I literally have no idea how many times I've read or heard that story. So it's the kind of thing that's indistinguishable from whole periods of childhood memory. It's isn't, just it's just in the background, isn't it? Isn't it? It when you asked me to come in and and talk about story and reading and family culture and and that sort of thing, that immediately came to mind was to read a couple lines out of some stories that are so deep in the family library, like like the library of the heart, the library of memory, the library of story sharing. Yes. Um, I thought that that would be a fun way. Other than that, I have no idea where you wanted to go. Oh, yeah, no, it's good. I remember the first time that like our future wives came home and you had, they like tried to assimilate into the family language, which is so difficult, right? Because it becomes its own thing. 
And it's because of growing up with stories like this. Like a, if you phrase a sentence a certain way, all of a sudden everybody in the room would be triggered and be thinking of a particular story that was the silver chair or, you know, another book that we've been reading. And I remember the girls being a little bit confused by how deep some of these things were. And we had to like pause and go, oh, okay. So the way that Luke just said that thing made all of us think of this story. Yes. And because we're thinking of that story, we are now thinking of the the comedy of this particular part. And just, it's deep in the family culture. Right. And people have been experiencing that, I think, in the peripheral of the magazine and in um, some of the podcasts we've done. And so I asked you to come in today because we've gotten so many requests, both for like book suggestions and um, mental libraries that like we recommend guys dive into that are good questions and I've been answering them, but there's been a couple, one in particular I'm thinking of a guy was writing in asking about how to develop a family culture of readers, of people that love diving into text and to stories and to the gospels. I love the question so much because we take it for granted, right? Like I could not separate those audiobooks from my childhood. Like I cannot separate the the stories of the three cowboys, Sam, Blaine, and Luke that you would make up to us at bedtime. Like there would be something. Okay, okay. So let me try missing. it. Here we go. Once upon a time, there were three cowboys named Sam, Blaine, and Luke, and they lived on a ranch near Colorado. Where are you? I just I'm on the bunk. I'm on a bunk bed, leaning over the edge, listening to story. You're cross-legged on the floor, making up in real time. And we're going to have a dog named Spot. And so we got a dog who is named Scout, at which time Spot's name changed exactly. to Scout. And I know that one of us sort of uh, on a rotation is going to play a prominent role in the story. I remember the buffalo herd, somebody getting trapped at the bottom of the deep valley. And I remember that was you and I. We were trapped at the bottom of the valley. And Luke, not unlike Lassie, had to help get us out and seek help. Oh, it's so good. Like, it's so good. Right. And what I love about the question um, and what it stirs of how do you cultivate that family? And I do want to actually ask that. Like, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit and what you were thinking. I was just so struck by the importance of loving story and the narrative arc really came first and preceded loves of understanding the gospel as a story, understanding reality as a story, <clears throat> and then approaching uh, the classics and I mean, I, I could be intrigued by Hawking's A Brief History of Time because it fits into this world of story. Like my, my library at home is varied and I still love going back to uh, the Star Wars book that Luke gave me before my wedding or a, a sci-fi that's that's out and, and then shifting over into Chesterton's orthodoxy. So I was so struck by how important a love of story is and wanted to pick your brains on that for my own sake and for all of the other mothers and fathers out there. Um, you had a background in theater, so you were very well versed with the narrative arc and moments of crisis and catharsis and setting and how all of those players actually have a direction. They're not just sort of falling about the place. I'm curious, Dad, like, how intentional were you and what were you thinking that you wanted to, to establish for your sons in telling those nighttime stories, in 
putting those CDs in for road trips? Like what, what were you after? What was like your, your goal for creating a culture that loved story? I don't know that it was that intentional. In other words, I don't know that I had a, I hadn't read a book on good parenting and how to build, you know, William Bennett has a, you know, that fabulous book and he's like, read to your kids. Well, I hadn't read that book at the time. It's different. C.S. Lewis said, I write stories that I would like to read, right? And I tell stories that I would like to hear. I think I just simply loved it. I think that there was a deep love of story in me. And I just knew that story is the language of the heart. Like if I'm going to reach the heart of these three little boys, it's not going to be through hardcore Bible lessons. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. Like it's, it sounds like heresy, but it's not. It's not going to be through, did you memorize your verse this week so that you can get your pen? It's going to be through the joy, simply the shared happiness of enjoying stories together, right? So it, it just came out of a love of story and, and a love of sharing in story together? Absolutely. That sort of, that fits my hunch. And I guess next question is, that we get a lot is, where did you find these? And so, just to toss to you, you read The Hobbit, you read The Chronicles of Narnia, we like tried some others and dropped them, found some other winners. How did you pick in telling stories, playing stories in the car, reading books aloud, which ones to read? Yeah, and again, the framework question is, how do you develop a a family culture of story, of reading? Um, And the short answer is love stories, love reading. So I've, I've loved reading since I was a child myself, and, and I do need to give credit to my mom because even when I was working on my grandfather's ranch in the summers, I would go down to the post office in this little town. I couldn't wait for the day that I get a big package every week, and it was books. She would send me books to read through the summer. So, you know, hard days of labor in the, in the day and in the evening I got to read. Particularly, like for the hearts of boys, it has to be adventure. It has to be wonder. That's true for little girls, too. It has to be mystery and excitement and heroism and bravery and, and, and something, something you want to be in yourself, right? So, you, again, you don't start with, I'm going to pick this story because it's teaching a moral lesson. I, I'm going to pick this story because it's great. And, and it draws you in. And so, you know, the Narnia stories, the Tolkien trilogy, uh, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, obviously preceding that. But the Great also and Terrible Quest. The Great and Terrible Quest. The Redwall books. Oh, yeah. Martin the Warrior, right? And the sea otters that are the great heroic, you know, fighters and the feasts so that they awesome. would always have. They did the meal full justice. Oh, yes, that phrase. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it has to be delight. It's your delight. I think your delight just transfers to your kids that they can tell this isn't obligatory time. This isn't parenting time. 
we get to do this. Isn't this fun that we get to do this together? That's really good. I, I remember reading somewhere in a psychology book that um, the parents' interests are going to more influence the kids than the tasks that they're going to assign. So yes, you may instill um, habits of cleanliness and of work ethic and all those things, but your interests, whether that's running marathons or traveling or loving story is like, we're going to watch what brings you delight. Exactly. And we, I, I mean, I can attest to this, that you weren't just reading stories, you were doing the voices and there was like intrigue and, and you were enjoying the story with us. It wasn't yes. some box that you were checking of like, okay, if yes. I do this, then we get to read about Daniel and the lion's den. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. And do you remember the magic fish? Oh, the, the hand puppet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very much so. so. Oh, gosh. Not, you guys aren't failing if you aren't using a hand puppet magic fish. But if you do have hand puppets, begin thinking of this. Oh, my gosh. So, like, puppets and how fun that was to get everybody into the story and tell stories. Because pretty quickly into this, you wanted to tell stories. And you would make up stories and, and, and then it would, it's delight. The word that keeps coming to my mind is delight. Mm. The delight of the moment, the delight of hearing the child tell their stories, the, right? You're creating this culture of delight in good stories. Right. Oh, that, that delight then influenced every layer of play because outside we stopped playing cops and robbers and and just riding our bikes, our bikes, we were the blue angels. There was a story around the play, which is already happening, yes. but somehow that was like affirmed as a worthwhile thing. It wasn't like, no, you're riding your bike. I go for a bike ride. And it was, yeah, you guys are the blue angels in formation, or yes, you're like the Jedi on this lost planet. And yeah. the, the baseball diamond is Tatooine. Like all of that was, I think, blessed and allowed to, to grow because story was not only permissible, it was noble. It was worth, worth spending time. Okay. In. And here, here's the big, here's the big idea. It's coming clear to me now. So we weren't just a family that loved story time. W what we were communicating, what, what I grew out of, you know, that people kind of wonder, so you were in theater and then you went into counseling. What's the connection? Well, the connection is immediate. The connection is story believing that life is a story, your story matters, and you're, you're going to find the answer to your story in stories. One of the books that I was looking for this morning to quote was in the introduction to Norman McLean's excellent book, Young Men in Fire, which is not a children's story, by the way. It's, it's a historical account of the Man Gulch Fire in Montana. But he says in the beginning that, that the question of identity is a question that haunts every person. And the best thing you can do is find a story that tells you about yourself. So it's not just that our family enjoyed it. And I can remember, I remember the, the first night uh, I asked you guys, have you guys seen Star Wars? Um, I remember this night so vividly. You were in the I remember Sam being- We're, we're in a car, right? We're in a car. Yeah, we're driving down Centennial. Sam was so uh, sort of- Appalled I by was, the question. Was Sam was offended. <laughs> he was, was like, we only watch movies with you guys. How do you not know? Of course we have it. <laughs> exactly. And then when he heard that what it was, it was like, you have you've been withholding this. And I remember you were like, Oh, it's great. There's spaceships and robots that are characters. And I remember very vividly the first pictures that 
came to mind when you were saying that and how different they were from what Star Wars was. But I just sat there thinking, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So again, there's the delight. But what's behind it, what I'm trying to articulate behind it is, is a deeper conviction that story is actually nourishment, that story is orientation, that story is the it is a more accurate way of presenting truth than fact telling, right? So it, it's a worldview. It's 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 a it's a deep set of beliefs. So mom mom and I met in the theater, and and we both shared it and and had that deep conviction that no 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 this isn't just entertainment, that that myth and legend, you know, from Narnia to Star Wars. This is orientation. This is food. This is guidance, and this is identity, right? Yeah, it's so good. I This didn't happen every time, but often at the end of a film, you wouldn't let us like just leave and disperse as a family. We would sit there and be like, okay, so did you see how like the good guys did this and the bad guys did this? Do you see how there's a call to nobility? Or you, like you'd age appropriately kind of flesh things out and like here's the enemy here's what the enemy looks like and sometimes in some movies I remember you'd like pause it in the middle of the film you're like okay you guys do you see what's happening here and it wasn't just you get to be passive you get to check out while we're engaging this thing which isn't to say that like every time it was film class sometimes it was purely yeah, like no. let's just watch something right. for the joy of watching it right. but often it was either like soaked in afterwards yes. or right. referred back to as we were in some other thing, you go like, hey, remember how noble Aragorn was in this moment? Like he had to face that thing. Like, don't you want to live like that? This is why this is the only reason I think it's worth going to see movies in theaters is I feel like $10 is worth the drive home afterwards and getting, because you see a story, you just talk about it. You don't, you have, have, to. You don't have to fabricate a lesson. You, you see a story and there's a kind of response and it isn't, doesn't have to be as you're saying, Sam. Do you see, you know, the archetypical conflict between good and evil? It can just be, wasn't this awesome? And what about this? And love the thing that makes a good story. Bingo. And you end up loving good story. Bingo. And love the goodness, right? You end up loving the goodness of it. I remember Lewis saying of George MacDonald that when Lewis read Fantasties on the train, he got off and said, my imagination had been baptized. Yeah, it's like it's, it, and what he got from McDonald was the love of the good, right? So um, Daniel Taylor, uh, PhD, English uh, prof, wrote a really interesting book called The Healing Power of Stories. And the subtitle is Creating Yourself Through the Stories of Your Life. And he opens like this. He says, you are your stories. You are the product of all the stories you have heard and lived, and of many that you haven't heard. They've shaped how you see yourself, the world, and your place in it. Right? Yes. Like, this is it. So knowing and embracing healthy stories, he goes on to say, are crucial to living rightly and well. We tell stories because we hope to find or create significant connections between things, Stories link past, present, and future in a way that tells us where we've been, where we are, and where we could be going. Our stories teach us that there is a place for us, that we fit, 
And he says, if we discern a plot to our lives, we're more likely to take ourselves and our lives more seriously. So one of the things we do at the end of watching or listening or telling stories is we would ask, who do you want to be? Right? That was one of the basic things. Who do you want to be? And then, and then you get, and then the next time you guys would be playing, you would be those guys. Right? right? I want to be Legless. I want to be Aragorn. And then you're in it. The next, the next role-playing game that's going on, it, right? You're living out. I want to be Martin the Warrior. I want to, right? What I love about that, too, is that it wasn't shame-based. It was identity-based. Um, I know a lot of guys these days, you might ask that question of like, what's a movie you've enjoyed recently? And they'll say, you know, I, I loved watching the latest Infinity War Avengers movie. And you're like, oh, yeah, it was awesome. Which character do you do you want to be? And they're like, well, you know, Tony Stark or, um, you know, Captain America. And you're like, awesome. Why? Like, well, because he, he's got it all figured out and enter almost like this lining of shame. Like, I am not that and I wish I was. Mm. Whereas as boys, we knew the invitation was to own that on some mythic level, you are like them, that yes. they are drawing out something of, yes. he has bravery, he has confidence, I want that as well, I will cultivate that. And there's something of like, could you answer that question without grief or without loss or without shame of a longing to be like those characters? I've referenced this a lot. I don't know if I've done it on the podcast, but in so many conversations with people, um, a friend gave me Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, um, and it's not as story-oriented as the quote you were just reading, but in that he talks about how people responded to the Holocaust. He's this psychologist that's in an internment camp, and he was identifying that people who could remove themselves from the immediate moment and see their current horror as a part of a story, it might be the end of the story, or it might just be the next chapter Mm. that they would actually live Mm. better in that moment. Mm. And I was so struck by that, how that applies to, I was, I literally read it before asking my future in-laws for their blessing to go propose. And it was this moment where I got to go, this is a point in a story of my life and I want it to go a certain way. And I was able to walk with so much more freedom because I was seeing it in this arc rather than like this moment is confusion and chaos and I don't know how it's going to go. And the next moment is going to be just as confusing and chaotic and not really to see any current to it. I love that. So I love that. So again, Taylor, he says stories engage me as a whole person, intellect, emotion, spirit, body, Seeing our lives as story is more than a powerful metaphor. It's how experience presents itself to us. Yeah, this raises, there's a problem in living in an age that doesn't believe that story is just out there. I think it's not a secret that I think the uh, intellectual imminent frame of our age is like <laughs> the least credible one that has existed mm. in human history ever. Mm. It's so baseless. But one of the things is, is that story is always unto. Story is unto the creation of meaning. Story is unto the justification of different social structures. Story is unto it. And I go, no, story is happening. And people engage it in ways where that does happen. But I go, you kind of have a battle to fight in getting back to that story is actually one of the principal elements of reality. I remember 
And this is visible even in high school English classes where people debate, did that author mean to use that symbol and go, I'm sorry, a symbol isn't a literary construct. A symbol is a thing that is intrinsic to reality. Exactly. Symbols are just out there. And intrinsic to that story, right. doggone it. Well, and I go, I'm sorry. So like you, for me, when I see a, a white Toyota Tacoma is a symbol that is full of meaning in my story. A, a rack of climbing gear is a symbol, the meaning of which is building in my story. And God uses symbols. They're real things. And to go, one of the problems is in taking back story from our age is going, if you had a frustrating experience in trying to engage stories in terrible anesthetized classrooms, like, that's fine. And you go, yeah, I just don't know. I, I didn't like the novels we read. I didn't feel like the literary devices were real. And go, that's too bad that that happened to you because how are you going to read the symbols in your own life? How are yeah, you yeah. going to enjoy the story that your life is and laugh at the comedy that's built into your story? Like, yeah. Laugh at all the story-like moments that you just go, yeah. this is... So a buddy of mine just got back. He, you know, travels... He's a writer, travels as a part of his work. And he has an eye for story. And I think God just dials up the contrast because he knows that he'll enjoy it. But he was talking about this guy that they were traveling with, this pilot, Swiss-German, you know, backcountry, like sort of bush pilot character who the whole time wouldn't take off his captain's uniform and who would stand sort of legs outstretched, hands on his hips, aviators on, appraising every single scene that they were in as though he was kind of like the lord of it. And just go, if you love story, you have to love that character. That is a hysterical character to find yourself traveling with on any trip. Yes. Yeah. Love it. And love the nuances that you get to experience with God as storyteller and comedian and present in tragedy. It, it actually is so orienting. And it's, I think it's why you begin the events that we do. There's an opening night, welcome, here's what we're after. And then the first morning as people are getting settled in and sort of uh, letting go of the tension of their worlds, you begin with the framing of story. Like yeah. this is the story you are in because... Your life, if it doesn't feel like one, you're not going to be living like it's one. And it's going to be this random series of disappointing events. And you're just going to kind of drift through and you're going to wonder, how did you become a 75-year-old and your kids hate you? Yep. Okay. So here's what's happening live in this moment. Suddenly, several separate experiences are making sense to me. Um, Experience one. So I'm a young therapist. I've got people coming into my office with just soup to nuts. I mean, it's everything. It's addiction, depression, suicide, divorce, sexual issues, crises, trauma. And it is the process of unpacking the story, shedding light on it, letting them simply tell their story that begins to heal the soul. Okay, so that's just snapshot one. Snapshot two is... Much later, our work took us into, and our work currently here took us into helping people out of some pretty dark places and realizing that the enemy's primary purpose is to divide, divide us from each other, 
through suspicion, hurt, withdrawal, anger, divide us from God, divide us from ourselves, and like literally finding inner fragmentation in people that that was brought about by trauma and childhood events or, or even just witnessing uh, something as an adult and, and realizing, whoa, there's this there's this fragmentation that's taking place that evil really feels a part of, third point on this constellation. And then I read um, Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, for which he almost won the Pulitzer Prize. He was a finalist. And what Carr goes in, it's a thoroughly researched book to show the Internet is literally changing and may have already thoroughly changed your brain and your ability to pay attention to a story longer than about three sentences, it's fragmentation. And so I go back and I go, oh my gosh, the war, the war is against fragmentation. And story has this phenomenal ability to heal fragmentation. And so let's go back to your original thing about family culture and and a story culture, primarily a reading culture as well as movies, um, you are healing fragmentation as you do that. Hmm. And you are fortressing the soul against fragmentation by grounding it in these story experiences. Does that make sense? Yes. And it's so mind-blowing. It makes me think of even just abilities where Sam one time was talking about a story where when he was living in Minnesota, a guy wanted to meet for beers a couple times. And at the end of an hour, Sam goes, man, do you see that, man, that recurring theme of you're waiting for someone to come through for you and they don't. And it freaking blew this guy's mind to go, your sto- that's true. And my story has a theme. And how are you someone who is able to see that? And you mm. go, well, you like stories and stories have themes and you get good at seeing them. I just want to return briefly to like the joy part in the yeah. in the development of this because people ask me how how do you read a lot and and why do you love the classics? And I go, okay. <laughs> I like the classics late in the game of liking stories. You have to really love story before you build into liking the divine comedy. But how do I read a lot? I like 95% of the books I read just for themselves. I'm reading this book right now called The Tiger. Dear God, it's a real story, Siberia, and it's a tiger gets wounded by a poacher, a, a Siberian tiger, the largest land predator in the world and goes on the largest killing spree of all time of humans. This tiger just turns into a killing machine because it's been shot. And the story is unbelievable, except the fact that it's true. And I'm just Mm. going, I love that story. And then it's sort of like if you love playing Frisbee at the park, you go on a run every once in a while to be able to enjoy playing Frisbee. So I enjoy reading stories and books. And so... Every so often I read a really hard one to fortress my ability. But when people go, yeah, I'm working on loving reading and I'm trying to tackle Marilyn Robinson's Gilead and go, <laughs> uh, that's 
Great. Um, have you ever read Ender's Game? Pick any Star Wars novel by Timothy Zahn as the writer. It will be awesome. And yep. go, yep. just rewind, man. You gotta totally take the load off totally. and find some stories you like. <clears throat> totally. I, I wanted to go back to that earlier thing you said, it, but like, if your experience with story has been unpleasant, reboot, reboot, reboot. Now, just read stories you like. Don't read them because they're important, and don't read them to impress other people. Like, if if you love the what was the Mac Wars? Mac Assault. Mac Assault. Those books that oh, you loved. Oh yeah. That, you know. Also, every vacation that we would take as a family, we'd go to Barnes and Noble, and we got to pick out a book we would we would buy. And I love sci-fi. Like, I could just live in many different sci-fi universes. And so I would get a different one of these, um, yeah, Megasalt books. They were just, I mean, they're like just kind of candy. They're so fun. So we're not talking about highbrow literature here. Hey. Well, and but, but exactly. the point I'm making is read exactly. what you love, exactly. gang. Like, don't don't read to impress and don't. Don't read just to teach your children lessons. Joy, delight, read what you love, right? C.S. Lewis has an essay on this called The Lilies That Fester. And he just has this brilliant observation where he goes, I feel far better about the man I see reading a science fiction magazine on the train than someone who's working through Aeneid in Latin. Because the first guy has a real chance of enjoying it yeah. And therefore getting some benefit out of it. And he goes, the other guy's reading to some other goal, and it's going to make him worse. It's going to stoke pride, vain ambition, yep. it, like yep. misanthropy, distance from humanity, and yep. go. That's so good. That's so good. Like the book. Read the book that you enjoy. Yeah. Okay, so let so, me add joy to this. Okay. I want to I wanna go back to your wife's experience of coming into our family culture and hearing not just lines being quoted, but characters being imitated and voices. Everything is proceeding exactly <laughs> as I planned. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You're like, what the yeah. heck is happening? <laughs> and the rest of us are cracking up. Right. Okay. So you, um, years ago, Edie Hirsch wrote a book called Cultural Literacy. And the point that he was making in it was that you have to have a shared body of of sh- of stories in order to enjoy everything else, jokes and allusions and, you know, memories and recollections and all that are built around shared stories so that all that somebody has to do is just start the first couple lines and everybody's cracking up again. Like there's a richness to this. You're laying in layer upon layer of joy that you're going to return to, right? Okay, so let me, I'm going to do it again. Here's the opening lines from a story. Where are you? What are you feeling? What does this trigger? When Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Bilbo was very rich and very peculiar and had been the wonder of the Shire for 60 years, ever since his remarkable disappearance and unexpected return. Ah, it just makes me so happy. You know where I actually am? I'm on a train with my wife on our honeymoon, and we had an audio book of 
the Fellowship of the Ring and one ear buddy for just listening to it and hours and hours. Right. So fun. I love the line that he gets to where it's like that it seems unfair that someone should have apparently endless youth and rumoredly unending wealth, but since he was generous, they forgave him his good fortune. I'm like, it's hysterical and it's very insightful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, when Susie and I were engaged, it was this story that I referred back to when I was dreaming of our wedding. The, the phrase that came was, I want Bilbo's birthday party. Right. And I had these, I had this story, uh, this this wealth of, I remember the, the joy, like I can feel the warmth, I can see the tree, I can, I can see the lights and hear the fireworks. And like, I referred to mm. that as a experience and as a thing that we could create here. Um, when and it we came knew to, immediately what you meant. Right. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's cultural literacy within a family. It's a shared library that you can draw from. So now when we get into serious warfare, gnarly stuff, what do you quote? What do you point to? You shout, you shall not pass, sir. Right? You reference something like it's serious warfare and it's... Man, this was Helm's Deep. Yeah. Last night was Helm's Deep. It was freaking ruthless like and and then you're there i don't i almost need to say no more because the illusions there the the power the story the grip the drama all of it oh right? sam and i were answering a question last night and the answer was have you seen the movie the prestige where they don't tell you the whole time that there's two brothers you haven't sorry that ruins the ending but there's two brothers who fuse their lives <laughs> and do all the same things sometimes we feel like that that we're fighting it <laughs> yeah sorry about ruining that movie sean <laughs> Uh, what I love about like the way that it becomes family culture, the way that it, it does, it it colors everything, and it covers a better, a, it colors a better understanding of our own lives. It has massively informed the way that I approach the gospel and it, and the approaches reality. Um, and before we sat down, I pulled this quote because you actually just gave us this book again, Dad. Put it on our radar. Frederick Beekner's "Telling the Truth: The Gospel is Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale," and the quote reads like this. It is a world of magic and mystery, of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen, and wonderful things too. It is a world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos, and a great struggle where often it is hard to be sure who belongs to which side because appearances are endlessly deceptive. Yet for all its confusion and wildness, it is a world where the battle goes ultimately to the good who live happily ever after, and where in the long run everybody, good and evil alike, becomes known by his true name. That is the fairy tale of the gospel, with, of course, one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for it that it is true, that it has not only happened once upon a time, but has kept on happening ever since and is happening still. There you go. You inculcate that into your family culture, you will understand everything else. 